Let's turn over in our worship folder now. We'll move into um, a time in our service where we get to hear from God through the reading and preaching of His Word. And this morning, the teaching will be based from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. And this is God's Word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can keep that passage right there handy. And uh, if you have a, a Bible, feel free to keep it out, or a phone, or whatever you seem to use these days to uh, read with. We are going to take a look at this passage together, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the midst of a, uh, a series where we're uh, moving back and forth between the book of Genesis and the book of Romans, and uh, we've been in Genesis 1 through 3, or actually 1 through 11, and then we looked at Romans 1 through 3, and we're back in Genesis again, and looked at 12 through 25, the story of Abraham, and now we're back in Romans, and we're in Romans 4 through 8, and uh, what I hope to, we continue to see is how the Bible is one big story. And we've seen it in recent weeks because the story of Abraham featured prominently in Romans chapter 4. In particular, Abraham was Paul's great illustration of the way of salvation. That it is by faith and not by works. And last week we began to look at Romans 5, which looks at the fruits, the results of this great work of Jesus, what Paul calls the free gift of justification. And we, we saw those fruits are peace with God, a new standing, and the hope of glory. And this week, as we come to Romans 5, I want to ask you a question to get you thinking and I hope that it helps us to get inside this passage. Uh, just to let you know, I was debated about whether or not to say this or not. 
This is a theologically dense passage, if there ever was one. Now, Paul is kind of dense all the time, but this one in particular. And so I wrestled a lot with how deep to go. And um, uh, we'll see. (laughs) I'm going to try my best to not go too deep, but at the very same time to make it as clear and intelligible to you as I can. So here's the question. How do you make sense of your life? How do you make sense of your life? And what I mean by that question is, why do you respond to people and the circumstances in your life the way that you do? Why are you motivated to move in your life in the ways that you do? Why are you moved to do certain things and in and, 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 and other ways you, you resist them? You don't want to do them. Either because you're afraid of them or you don't like them or they um, are interesting to you. I suppose there are a number of answers, but let me throw out just a few at the beginning here. I mean, one answer to that question, how do you make sense out of your life, is really how you were brought up. You know? Um... I'm an Alabama fan because my family is Alabama fans. That's not my case, but I know it's true for a lot of you. Or Auburn. Um, how I was, this is just, I, I, I explained my life based on how I was brought up, how my parents raised me. Um, or maybe a variation on that is, you know, I do what I do because of my parents' influence in my life. Perhaps some of you Uh, do the exact same profession that your parents did or one of your parents did. Um, Another way to answer that question, how you make sense of your life, is perhaps there are various experiences or opportunities or lack thereof in your life that have had enduring long-term effects on you and how you view the world, how you view yourself, how you view God. How do you make sense out of your life? All of those, I think, are, are, are important and necessary answers to that question. But when we come to this passage, there is actually an answer that Paul gives us to help make sense of who we are, how we got to where we are, why things are the way they are that reaches further back and goes deeper in than any of those other answers. And he gives us a clue to this when you look at verse 14. If you look there to the end of verse 14, Paul says, Adam, and here Adam is, he's referring to Adam at the, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And in the context here, the one who was to come is obviously Jesus Christ. Now, what does Paul mean here when he says Adam was a type of Jesus? That word type also means pattern. And what Paul is saying here is that the work of Jesus, the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus, in some sense, in some way, is a pattern after the life of Adam. So, 
At the very beginning, in verse 14, if we're to understand this passage, we have to understand Paul is going to draw a parallel between Adam and Jesus. And the question is, how does that parallel intersect with you and me? That's what we're going to try to figure out and look at. So what Paul is helping us to see here is if we're to understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have to understand what happened with Adam. And so we just have two points this morning. The first one is, we're going to look at the first Adam. And the second one, we're going to look at the second Adam. So the first Adam and the second Adam. Let's look, first look together at what Paul calls the first Adam. And as I said, the key to recognizing the way in which Adam is a pattern for Jesus lies in this very uh, this oft-repeated phrase in this entire passage where Paul will say things uh, like this. In verse 18, he says, One trespass led to condemnation for all men. Or look at verse 19. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Or look at verse 15, where Paul says, Many died through one man's trespass. And again, look at verse 17. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned. And we could insert there, for all men. The pattern of Adam's life in the Bible, the pattern that Paul is drawing, is a movement from one to many, from one man to all men, or all people, all humanity. And what he's trying to say here, we're going to look at this, Adam's story is the story of all humanity. He stands at the beginning as the representative head, if you will, for all people in all places and all times throughout history. Now, I want to give you a couple examples to try to illustrate what's being said here. One comes from the Bible. Uh, perhaps most or many of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. That story actually illustrates a military principle back in the ancient Near East. And how that story unfolded was you had the Israelites on one side of this enormous valley. And on the other side you had the Philistines. And they were enemies. And they were going to go to battle. And oftentimes what would happen is these warring kingdoms would fight. And there would be huge numbers of casualties until there was a victor. And eventually, somebody had the idea, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't you send your champion, your best warrior out? And we'll send our champion, our very best warrior out. And let those, those two people fight to the death. And whoever wins goes free. And whoever loses becomes the slave of the victor. Now, what's happening there? Each of those warriors or those champions, you could say, 
are representative heads for those two kingdoms. The actions of those warriors determine the fate of all those whom they represent. The destiny of the group is bound up with the success or the failure of that one champion, that one warrior. Or to think of them perhaps more up-to-date, if any of you are into the World Cup this summer, there are a number of games uh, where teams ended uh, regulation time tied, and they go to what's called penalty kicks. And each team sends their goalie out, and then they send out one of their players, and the fate of these two teams, and in fact, in many ways, not just these two teams, but whole countries in this tournament, bound up with either the success of this keeper to prevent the goal from being scored, or bound up with the success of this one player to score a goal. In other words, again, the fate of the many is bound up with the success or failure of the one. And that is what Paul is trying to teach us here in verses 12 to 14. He is looking back on the first Adam. He's reflecting on what Moses wrote in Genesis 2 and 3 when he says, here Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now there are three things in this Paul tells us about the story of Adam. And we looked at this story several months ago. So just as a quick refresher, why does Paul talk about Adam here? Eve is conspicuously absent if you're paying attention. But the reason that Adam or Paul focuses on Adam is that Adam is the one to whom God said, you may eat of any tree in the garden that I have put you in, any tree, except do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And as we know, what happens, the serpent shows up, deceives Eve, and Eve eats the fruit and gives some to Adam, and everything falls apart. And the story ends with God pronouncing judgment and expelling them from the garden. And there's no way back. There's no way back. And what is God guarding them from? It's the tree of life. So see, what Paul is reflecting on here is the, that very story. And what he's telling us here is the failure of Adam is really the failure of the whole human race. He tells us in verse 12, sin came into the world through Adam. And then he says that death entered through Adam's sin. And death here is not just physical, but spiritual. As indicated by their expulsion from the garden, their relationship with God is now broken. And it's not only spiritual, it's also physical. As the story unfolds, Adam dies. Human beings die. They no longer live in perfect fellowship and communion with God anymore. And then third, Paul says that death became humanity's common experience 
because we have all sinned in and with Adam. Now this is, I think, sometimes a difficult truth uh, for us to embrace. The idea that we are treated or regarded as Adam. I think sometimes it's easy to, to read the Old Testament and think, man, if I would have been there, I would not have done that. <laughs> and the story of the Bible says, don't be so quick to think that. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that we are not sinners because we sin. Paul is saying we sin because we are already sinners. As one of the older catechisms put it, in answering the question, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? It says, all mankind sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. So what Paul is trying to help us to see here is that the result of the first Adam's failure is sin, condemnation, and death for all people. As our representative. That is what each of us are defined by when we enter into this life. All humanity is bound up with the failure of Adam. But, as we turn to the second Adam, a very different picture emerges. Remember, verse 14 again. Remember, Adam is the pattern for the one who was to come. How exactly does that pattern get played out for Jesus? Look in verse 15. But, and this, you cannot have a more important but than this one. The free gift is not like the trespass. Notice what we see here. Remember, the one and the many. The success of the one determines the fate of the many. Look verse 18. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, just like Adam's failure determined the fate of all humanity in the same way. Jesus' success, his obedience, determines the fate for all who are in him. His obedience answers Adam's failure. So instead of sin, there's righteousness. Instead of condemnation, there's justification. Instead of death, there's life. Jesus stands at the head of what Paul calls elsewhere a new creation, a new humanity. Jesus presents a whole new way of making sense of who you are. That in every way answers all of your need, all of your helplessness, all your sickness, all your brokenness all your guilt, all your shame. And so here's the question. Who do you want to represent you? You see, because without Christ, we are all 
in Adam. His story is your story. But in Christ, we are rescued from Adam. And that's the question. Who do you want to represent you? And it's important to understand that for Paul in the scriptures, there's not a third option. All of humanity can be thought of in terms of two large groups. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Those are the only two options that that the Bible gives. Now here's the question. How do you transition or move from being in Adam to being in Christ? And the answer to that is you need to own the work of another as your own. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, football season's coming up. And I know this room is pretty much split, Auburn, Alabama. And if you ever had the experience where perhaps you weren't able to see a game, and you, you come and you, you see a friend, and they did see the game, and what's the question you ask them? The question you ask them is, so how did we do? Did we win? And your friend might say, yeah, we won. And here's what's really funny about that. We did not win. You were not in that game. You were not a player on those teams. Those college students from 18 to 22 years old who practice every day for hours, they won that game. But you see what we're doing. We are owning the success of these other people as our own. That's a picture of faith. What does it mean to become a Christian? What it means to become a Christian is that you own for yourself the work of Jesus. If you look here in verse 17, Paul uses the word receive. He says, If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And I want to say this especially to those of us in this room who are on the young side. How do you become a Christian? How do you take your baptism and all the things your mom and dad try to help you to understand and make it your own? How you do that isn't by working for it, it's by receiving it. It's by saying, I want to be in Jesus. I want him to count for me. What I want to be able to say is that we won. And I had nothing to do with that victory. That's what it means to become a Christian. Now, let let me try to land this plane for us. Remember, verse 15, he begins, the free gift is not like the trespass. Well, why else is it not like the trespass? It's because the free gift 
is way better. Notice how Paul indicates this. Verse 15. Just listen. If many die through one man's trespass, much more. How much more? Have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the, that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17. Again, one man's trespass, if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign through Jesus? But then also, did you hear that? This grace abounds for many. Verse 15. And again in verse 17, the abundance of grace. And then down in verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What Paul is trying to help you to see here is that who we are in Adam, by virtue of being born as human beings is weak and frail and incapable of thwarting this abundant, boundless grace that is freely given in Jesus. And I want to meditate with you for a moment here. When when Paul says the law came in to increase the transgression or the trespass, he's talking about the law of Moses, that when God revealed his law to Moses, prior to which the law had not been revealed. He tells us that the law came in to, he uses the word, increase the trespass. What does that mean? Think of it like a magnifying glass. The law is like a magnifying glass on your life. It draws out the nooks and crannies of your heart that are twisted and dark and dirty and ugly. And it shows us in all of its awfulness and ugliness what sin really is. And I wonder how many of you are here this morning and you feel that either because of what you've done or what you think about or what someone's done to you And what I want you to hear from this morning is what Paul says, where sin is magnified, where it is most ugly, where it's most shameful, where it's most burdensome with guilt, he says, grace abounded. And in fact, the best way to translate, it's hard to translate, is it superabounds. This is overly abundant grace. And it is for you. Think of it like this, where there is sin, guilt, and shame in your life, grace superabounds. Where there is breakdown and condemnation, grace superabounds. Where there is hopelessness and despair, grace superabounds. Where there is weakness and failure, grace superabounds. Now how can you be sure about that? You can't be sure about that because you're having a good day. Because you will have a bad day. And if grace depends on the kinds of days you and I have, that's not good news. 
But the way you can be sure is from this passage, because here Paul tells us, Jesus represents you. Everything that is true about him determines your destiny. You don't determine that. It is received by a gift. And Paul says that the obedience of Jesus is greater than the disobedience of Adam. That the righteousness of Jesus is greater than the condemnation of Adam. That the reign of life that is in Jesus is greater than the reign of death in Adam. Now, you see why we have to look at this passage to make sense of who we are? This passage reaches further back and deeper in than anything in your life. And why is that good news? Because all of our lives are shot through. doesn't matter how good your parents were. You are still in need of redemption. doesn't matter what anyone has done to you. There is hope for you. That reign of death in your life has been conquered by the reign of life freely given in Jesus. Your destiny, your future is not determined by Adam if you are in Christ it's determined by him now it's why I love the fact that we sang that song and can it be because in there if he heard it there's a lyric that said he emptied himself so great his love and bled for Adam's helpless race I don't know if you noticed either, there's not one command in this passage except for a passive verb, if, if, I'm, if I'm right here. It's to receive, which we talked about. So here's the question for you. Um, are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Regardless of where you find yourself today, the one answer to that question that we all perhaps, uh, maybe you might answer it this way for the first time today, or perhaps you've been a, a Christian your whole life and your answer is the same. You need to own the work of Jesus for you. Are you able to say, we won? We did this. And what that means for you is that you had nothing to do with it. But it is now yours. That's good news. And it is a free gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for uh, the good news that um, on the one hand, Though we are bound up with sin and, and, and Adam's failure, we're not left there. That you have sent your son to answer that failure and in him our failure in order that we might have forgiveness and uh, justification and new life in him. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us today to... Uh, receive this good news 
and to own it for ourselves through faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.